Hello, and welcome to Simple Pursuit, the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our prayer that you will grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that you will be blessed and challenged as you listen in. Grab your Bible, because here is today's teaching. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we're going to finish what uh, we started last week um, with uh, out of Paul's letter. And uh, next week, we'll continue on with our schedule as we work our way through the New Testament um, this year. We're making uh, quick progress uh, through, uh, already halfway through um, the year and halfway through the New Testament. It's been a great trip so far. Last week, we began talking about what it looked like to be all in, what it means to uh, be a living sacrifice or to be a sacrifice, the aim of the life change that the gospel brings to us, it's not just doctrinal truth. That's a big part of it. Our, what we believe begins to change as we read and study scripture and God lays that out for us. But more than just doctrinal truth, there is a life, a life to be lived, which Paul says, in full view of God's mercies, having been united with Christ in his death, And in his resurrection, we now have a new life in Christ, which then uh, begins to delight in walking in God's will and abiding with Jesus. That brings transformation from the inside outward. Listen to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, as I read from Paul. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray together. Father, as we come before you this morning, it is so often my prayer and my continued prayer that what we do not know, you would teach us. And what we do not have, you would provide for us. And what we are not, continue, Lord, by your grace, your transformative work in our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. This is our prayer. Amen. I want to read to you from the Phillips translation, the same passage I just read out of ESV. Phillips translated it, With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, to give him your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him and acceptable by him. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good, meets all his demands, and moves towards the goal of true Maturity. We left off with that first commitment, the first command that Paul gives us in verse 1 to offer our lives, our bodies as a living sacrifice, to be a living sacrifice, which comes to us as we view the mercies of God. And in view of the mercies of God, which is Romans chapter 1 to verse 11, uh, chapter 11, Paul says, in view of all that has been written, in view of God's mercies, 
your reasonable response, your intelligent response, your spiritual response, your act of worship is to offer your life, your body as a living sacrifice. Whether it's true worship, spiritual worship, spiritual act of worship, the CSB calls it true worship, our intelligent worship, says Phillips. Either way you read it, the point is very clear. Christ Jesus took on flesh. The word became flesh. He suffered the wrath of God for us on the cross as our substitute. And in doing so, he is, was, and is the propitiation or payment for our sin. That he was once and for all sacrificed for that sin. And Hebrews says, by that we will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Peter writes, for Christ also suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that would be us, that he might bring us the unrighteous to God, being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. Now, our reasonable response to all of the mercies of God in view of that, with clear lenses and a clear sight to all that God has done for us, now Paul calls us to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. That is our reasonable, true, intelligent, spiritual act of worship. And the reality is we can only be a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to the Lord if we have repented of our sins and we are in Christ. We have trusted him for salvation. That's how we come to him as a holy and pleasing sacrifice every single day. This is not a sacrifice where, or, uh, where we experience a, a moment of enthusiasm from a worship service or a, a song we might hear or a sermon that really gets us revved up and gets us going that we might love so much. But rather, this is a call to a daily sacrifice, a daily living our life on the altar of sacrifice to the Lord. That is our reasonable response in view of what God has done for us in his son, where our lives are set apart for his kingdom and his glory. So the practical side of living out and being a living sacrifice, Paul writes for us in the rest of chapter 12 and chapter 13, chapter 14, chapter 15. Chapter 16 is really a kind of a conclusion chapter with a lot of, hey, these people say hi, pray for them, this, that, and the other. All important. And Paul concludes Romans with a doxology as a time of worship. But here in chapter 12, he gives us the gifts of grace or what we also know as spiritual gifts. The practical side of being a living sacrifice is that God is going to work in you through the Holy Spirit. These are his gifts, not ours, right? It's his gift that he brings for the body, for the church, for the edification, the building up of the church. And then he calls us to let love be genuine. Don't uh, hate what is evil. Love what is good. Love one another. Be patient. Be constant in prayer. Rejoice in hope, he says in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 11. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. God is calling you to this. This is what it looks like to be a living sacrifice and to have your mind renewed daily every single day that we come and we lay ourselves on the altar. Chapter 13 calls us to submission to, to the authorities that God has placed over us, saying that governments are sovereign. They are in place by God. Right? We may not like to hear that when it's somebody in office or offices that we didn't put there by our vote, but nonetheless, we are called to pray for them and take them before the Lord. Then he calls us at the end of chapter 13 to fulfill the law through love, because love is the greatest um, and is exactly what Christ has done for us. Chapter 14, we are called to be patient with one another. Chapter 14 is the chapter of uh, uh, disputable matters. 
Shall I eat meat sacrificed to idols? Do we get along with those who view things differently than us just a little bit, like meat, eating meat sacrificed to idols? And Paul puts it on the church and he lays it out for us. This is a practical example of being a living sacrifice inside the church. So if you want to know what it looks like, keep reading through chapter 12, 13, and 14 to the end of the letter. But Paul answers for us this question, how do we, as a new follower or an old follower of Jesus, having trusted in him for salvation, take the next step of spiritual growth? Maybe you're one of those old followers that's grown stagnant in your growth. Well, Paul gives us the outline in verse 2. And it's the next two commandments and commitments in growing in Christ-likeness. Look again at verse 2. As he calls us to be living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord, offer our bodies. That's the command. Now he says this. Do not be conformed to this world. That's the second commitment. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't be conformed. Paul says, don't be conformed to the world. Don't be squeezed into the contemporary thinking of your time, the age in which you live. Paul has already mentioned this at least once in this letter in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. Turn back to Romans chapter 8 for a moment. You look at verses 5, starting there in verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh, where, where are their minds set? Paul says... They live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot, for those who are in the flesh cannot please God. God. Friends, there is a radical distinction between the old, former way of life and the new life in Christ. There is a radical break in Scripture and in the truth of the gospel that comes when you trust in Jesus. There is a radical break with the old way of life and the new way of life of following Jesus. This new life that we receive from Christ, this Life that is united with Christ in his death and united with him in his resurrection. And we see symbolized in believer's baptism. When that happens, what we see there is that this new life begins to change the way we think. And because it changes the way we think, with our minds being renewed, being set on the spirit rather than being set on the flesh, it begins to change the way we live. I love C.S. Lewis's quote, or this quote I read from his writing He wrote this. It's a very famous quote of his, but he said this, I believe in Christianity as I believe in the rising of the sun, not simply because I see it, but because by it, I can see everything else. Friends, when you come to Christ and that heart changes, because Ezekiel, God tells us that he will take out the heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. He will do that work. It's not the work of the pastor. It's not the work of the church. It's not the work of a worship song or a famous preacher. It's the work of God. He is the one that takes out the heart of stone and puts in the heart of flesh. That new heart that he gives us begins to receive that truth that God has given us in his word. And it begins to change the way we think and the way we see things. So now, yes, I can see the world. I can see you. Uh, you're all a little fuzzy now that my glasses are off. You look all right this morning with my glasses off. 
Oh, let me put them on for a second. And then, you know. But I can see clearly. I can see you. Now I can see you clearly. Right? That's what the gospel does. This is what the new heart does. It changes the way we see things. It changes our worldview. It helps us to see as God sees things. And what we see around us is a world that does not jive with God's standard. This is exactly what he says, Paul says in Romans. For we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We have all missed the mark. Isaiah says it, that we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the new life in Christ, God begins to change that. This world has shaped us before we meet Christ. And it continues even after Christ to try to influence us and shape us. So you might say, well, how does the world shape us? You guys are asking some great questions this morning. Thank you. Go back to the beginning of Romans chapter 1. You will see, we covered it a couple of weeks ago, but in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, you will see the results of how the world has shaped us or what happens when we are shaped by the world. In Romans chapter 1, you'll be reminded the situation outside of Christ, that we are, in fact, just turn over there for a minute. We won't camp out too long there. You can go back and catch the sermon uh, online, but you can go back for just a few moments. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. This is verse 18, Romans chapter 1. Against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's the key. Outside of Christ, men and women, boys and girls, we are trying to suppress the truth of God's existence, of his grace and his mercy, and his standard most of all. For what can be known about God is plain to them. God has put it all out there for us to see in creation. Right? And so because we keep pushing against God, we keep suppressing the truth, God has turned us over to ourselves, to the depravity of our mind, to the lust of our hearts, the impurity uh, of our thoughts. He's turned us over to that. So Paul has clearly painted a distinct pattern, a difference in the patterns of this world and the patterns of God's will. That's the second pattern that we're looking at. The pattern of God's will versus the pattern of the world. And so what Paul is issuing us to here uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is pretty straightforward. Here's what he's saying. I don't want you to go back to that way of thinking that characterized you back when your minds were hostile to God. Romans chapter 8, he told us, that a, a mind that is set on the flesh is a mind that is hostile to God. And he's writing to believers, right? Romans is written to believers in Rome, people who have called on the name of Jesus, repented of their sins, and are supposed to be walking with him. Now here we see, in light of, in view of God's mercies, in, in that of what has changed your life, I don't want you to go back to that way of thinking that characterized you back when your mind was hostile to God. Don't allow that kind of hostility to squeeze you into its mold. It is a very clear warning to those who are in the church who think that they can dabble a little bit in the world, throw in, if you will, a little sweet Jesus for a good life, sprinkle in a little salt because Jesus did tell us that we are to be the salt of the earth and think that we're going to be okay and boom, I am now living the dream. Friends, too many of us in the church today have one foot in the world and one foot in in the church, thinking that we can live in both worlds. Actually, it may be more like three-fourths of our body is hanging at the door, and we're just barely holding open the door of the church so we get some of that cool air on a hot day, and maybe some of that Jesus will come blow on us, and we can go on with our sweet life because we got a little sweet Jesus blowing on us. 
That's what we're after. We've been just a little bit of Jesus, and now we can go about the rest of our day. But the problem is, is that if that's how you're living, you're conforming to the world. Every single day, Paul is calling us to offer our bodies, our lives as a living sacrifice. We can't live what we call the holy hokey pokey. Come on. Put your left foot in. Put your left foot out. I'm back on Sunday in again. And then I shake it all about. I go to church and I do the hokey pokey. That's what it's all about. But that's what we're doing. And so we're taking it in, taking it out. I want to be in. I want to be out. I want to have a church life, but then I want to have a separate life over here. We can't compartmentalize this. It's, it's all-encompassing of our life. Jesus died, and now he lives, and he did so so that you and I could live for his glory, not being conformed by this world's standards, but rather, as we'll find out in a little bit, God's will is that we would be conformed to the image of his son. Jesus said the pattern of this world was a wide road. Man, I drove through Houston, Texas yesterday. I'm just glad to be here. (laughs) Friends, there was one point where that wide road was eight lanes. Whoa. On one side. My goodness. You know, you just put another lane out there, they just put more cars on it. The futility of our thinking. Man, it just got me to thinking, though, this wide, wide lane. And as I was looking for a coffee shop, there was no coffee shop on that wide, wide road. I had to get on a very narrow, no shoulder, narrow road to find the coffee shop that we were looking for, literally called Hebrews. (laughs) It's beautiful. It's scripture everywhere. Sweetest people running that place. Awesome. But it just painted that picture. Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. We find life in Christ. Christ really is the only one that could walk that road. We couldn't walk it and earn our salvation. Christ earned it for us. But we find that life walking with him. And the pattern of this world, friends, is has not changed. What we find today in in view of the the time that we live in, the age that we live in, do not be conformed to this world. Other translation uh, 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 translates the word world, as ESV does, into age, the time that you live in, the world that you live in. When we are here in the 21st century, the year 2023, halfway through it, what you find today is the same ugly pig with a different shade of lipstick from the time in the garden. Sin is sin. It just looks different. It sounds different. It may have a slightly different name, but it's the same old sin. Nothing has changed. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. And we still find it around today. Ultimately, it is man worshiping himself, putting himself above God. In 2017, Dr. Jim Dennison of the Dennison Forum wrote an article. I I received his uh, articles uh, every day. You can, if you'd like to subscribe to him, he's a, he's a solid theologian. Um, and uh, he writes on current events um, and uh, I think does a very, a very solid job of relating them theologically and practically uh, with a biblical worldview in mind. But, but uh, his writing comes from the Denison Forum. But it, back in 2017, he wrote an article entitled, A Coca-Cola Ad 
that foreshadows the future. I, I, I don't know if foreshadow is the right word, but I think would perhaps just exposes reality. And what happened is he references this ad that ran in Italy um, by Coca-Cola, where there is a handsome young pool boy. He's cleaning the pool at a home, and the first scene turns away from the pool boy in the backyard to a teenage girl uh, sitting by the pool, mesmerized by his good looks as she stares at him lustfully. Then she noticed her brother also staring at the pool boy. They both, ra- they both raced to the pool boy to offer him a Coca-Cola, and sadly, I guess in view of the commercial, sadly in view of what is right, the mother beats her daughter and her son to the pool boy. She stares at him with lust and shrugs her shoulders at her children. That ad played in the heart of the Roman Catholic Church and its people. Which brings me to share with you his point. He concluded Christians need to declare and defend biblical truth on marriage and sexuality, beginning with our own families and churches. That we should not assume that our children and friends believe what the Bible says about these issues. Friends, the little bitty letter of Jude, right before the great big book of Revelation, is just as important as Revelation. For he calls us in this life right now, while the cultural flood continues to rise and threaten every fabric of following Jesus, he calls us to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. How does that happen? How do we get to that place? How do we let this rising tide of consumerism and this rising tide of what is culturally normal and opposed to Scripture? How does that happen? Well, guys, first thing first, we are not the first society to experience the grotesque behavior that we see today. We're not. Shame on us for thinking so. Why? Because all have fallen short. Every single one, every generation, every age has fallen short of the glory of God. Please go read your history. You can go read your history about Rome itself and discover the grotesqueness of their society. It doesn't excuse us today, though. There is zero godly influence except for Paul and those brave missionaries who took the gospel to Rome for the very first time. But the first step in this is to take away the authority of God's word by saying that it's culturally irrelevant and erode its teaching. When man begins to believe in himself and worship himself rather than his creator, just like Paul wrote in Romans chapter one, it will happen to every society no matter who founded it. It drifts into the church and has drifted into the church. When the church fails to consider God's word inerrant and authoritative, and by that I mean that the word of God has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter, which means that all scripture is totally true and trustworthy. We can hang our hat on it. And when the church considers that cultural norms are more important than biblical truth, we have major issues. It is a slippery slope 
that is hard to gain traction once we start down that road. So what tools does the world use to shape us? Again, another great question. You guys are so into it this morning. I love it. The first one is this, that culture is a combination of a lot of things. Our culture is, you look around, if, if you were an alien from outer space and you were catching our TV waves and radio waves and watching us, what would you see? Well, you would immediately begin to see that which molds and shapes us. Our movies, our movies tell our stories, whether they're fiction or true. They tell our stories. They tell of our creative side. It would show that we long for a superhero, whether it's Batman or Superman, Captain America, Captain Marvel, whoever it would be. We long for a superhero. We long because why? If you read these stories, you watch the stories that are being told. The world is in trouble, and we need a savior. We need a superhero. You would also see that our values have changed. The family has changed. I mean, when was the last time you watched a kid's TV show on Disney? I guarantee you, Dad is a goofball, if he's even in the show. He's an idiot. He's made to look that way. He's made to look childish. Mom is the reasonable one. The ra- now, that may be reality in your house, but it doesn't mean it's biblical. The kids are in charge. The kids will tell the parents what to do. The kids will set things straight. This is what tells our story. This is how families live today. This is how many, maybe you live this way today. Our magazines, our newspapers, always tell a story. Listen to podcasts. Get on YouTube and watch the various personalities and what they're saying. TV. I mean, you can see two sides of the same coin in politics based on what channel you watch for your news. What conversations are being had. What TikTok videos are going viral in just a few seconds. Snapchat, Instagram influencers. All of these play a role in our culture. I mean, when I started in seminary, Facebook wasn't a thing. Now it's one of the only things. The metaverse that they're creating. It has influenced, that and Twitter has influenced so many different aspects of our life, whether you are aware of it or not, it's happening. There are social media influencers that are dictating who's doing what and when and where. If you were to jump into the future 100 years from now or 200 years from now and find a a time capsule, that which is on social media would be the artifacts. Our cell phones would be our artifacts that you would find that rule and guide our life. The books that are being written today, the music that is being sung, what are they saying? Well, if you listen to country music at all over the last 50 years, you've got a tear in your beer, your dog left you, and your truck tire's flat, and you can't go through the mud. I don't know. I mean, it's a sad story, our music, and what story it's telling. What about art? Is the Mona Lisa smiling or not? Who is she? Where is she from? We don't know. The list could go on and on and on. This is how culture shapes us, and it's trying to influence us to where now all of these shows over the last 30 years that have put the kids in charge, now what are we doing? We're letting kids trying to figure out what God already decided when he created them. You know what I'm saying? 
Like, this is, this is nuts. It, some of you grew up with father knows best, and now it's father's the worst if he's even present. Guys, men, the first change that needs to happen today is that you always point your family to Jesus. You will never go wrong pointing your wife, your children to Jesus. He is more of a man than you or I will ever be. Let's point him to the Savior. I want to be like him. But listen, culture is constantly changing what is normal. Culture is constantly changing what is normal. Normal never stays the same, especially when it comes to morality. It's always pushing the bar. Culture tends to shape us most deeply by what it presents as normal. Man, when I was a kid, teenager, I remember there was one person that had come out, Ellen DeGeneres, and hey, man, she gave us the gym in Rockport. Fantastic. It's great. But she was the first one. And now you can't watch a TV show on any network without having that agenda in the forefront of what we're watching. It's just there. So unintentionally or intentionally, we will become shaped by our culture rather than being intentional of shaping our culture around us. As those norms shift, when we experience a new, different normal, it will cause a shift in our daily routine. Our schedules will change. What we like and don't like, what we buy and what we don't buy, what we eat and what we don't eat. I mean, how many times have I heard coffee's bad for me? No, it's good for you. No, it's bad for you. No, eggs cause high cholesterol. No, they're the best protein you'll ever eat. I mean, back and forth, back and forth. What is it going to be? It influences how we spend money, how we give our money, what we watch on TV. And the next thing you're going to know, you're going to be at the end of your life. And you're gonna, if you have a chance to look back before you meet Jesus, you're going to look back and say, whoa, I conform to the world. Friends, Satan wants you to conform. That's his goal is to convince you that what God has said and what God has done to redeem you in Jesus Christ is a farce. He sets the world's patterns and the world's schemes against you, and they are used by Satan, authored by him, to keep you conforming to the world. But guys, as following Jesus, our task is to contend for the faith, which means we resist that scheme, we resist the pressure to conform morally, intellectually, emotionally, and ultimately behaviorally. We have to resist that. What is the antidote to conforming? To the world around us. Paul says, Christians, don't be conformed. Don't be squeezed in. Jesus has a bigger story than culture's story, and his story is absolutely true. Jesus calls you to renewal by which he will do the work of transformation. Contend for the faith that was delivered once and for all to the saints. You have to go on the offensive every single day. How do we do that? Again, another great question. Commitment number three. Let God renew you from within. You don't let go and let God, but you let God work in your heart, which means that you have sacrificed. You have laid yourself on the altar of sacrifice for him to come in and do that work of renewal. It is his work. It is the work of the Spirit of God that brings that renewal every single day. The all-in commitment to follow Jesus is a positive call to be transformed. The first is negative. Don't be conformed. The second is positive, or the third one is positive. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this isn't just a one-time thing. Let's say, great, pastor, I'm going to commit to be renewed today. Be transformed. But you're going to do it tomorrow? Because that's what it's a call to. It's a continual, consistent, deliberate renewal of your mind, a setting aside to get with the Lord every single day and let his word, his pattern, his will 
overtake your life and begin to guide your steps. And all of that in view of God's mercies as we offer ourselves to him as a living sacrifice. Hey, Jesus didn't die so you'd be a chameleon Christian. You know what a chameleon does, right? He changes his color, all right? And I mean this in all sincerity. Put a chameleon on a rainbow flag. That dude's going to be confused. What color am I going to be today? Some of you are confused. Sometimes it's hard to be thinking straight. But that's how many choose to live. One color at church. One color at work. One color probably off color while I'm with the guys. One color with the family. Another color with the spouse. You get the picture. Another color when I'm online. But the positive command here is to be transformed. Don't let the world influence what color you're going to be. Let Christ transform your heart. Be transformed. What a beautiful picture this is for the church. That we are called to be transformed. Then Paul tells us how. This is why he says, in view of God's mercies, we're offering ourselves as a living sacrifice by the renewing of our mind. That transformation is caused by God. And it happens when we surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. When we surrender, when surrender is on the table, that's when the Holy Spirit does his work. If you're partly surrendered, that's not surrender at all. The verb simply here means here the transformation is where we pull our word or we understand our word metamorphosis. It's a change from one thing to something totally different. I'm not going to give you the old caterpillar butterfly illustration we've always heard, but that's one of the great understandings of this word and what Christ has done for us. But the problem also is, is that we got too many grumpy Christians who want to stay grumpy caterpillars and keep eating on their leaves and lettuce when God has created a beautiful field of flowers full of nectar for you to go out and enjoy as he transforms you to enjoy it. Friends, Christ has come not only to save that which is lost, but to also transform that which is lost. He came to give us a new way to think that's a new way to live. It's not a bunch of legal jargon and the do this, do that, a fixed set of rules and regulations, but rather a desire to serve Jesus with all of our heart, laying ourselves on the altar of sacrifice daily and letting him, allowing him to come and transform our mind. Here's God's ultimate goal, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We are being transformed into the same image from one degree. You know whose image we're being transformed into? The image of his Son. The image of his Son. Our new way of thinking is to set our eyes on Jesus and letting him conform us to his image, transform us in his image. That change begins here in our mind and in our heart, which Paul, why, that's why Paul says you must renew your mind. That's where it starts. Once it changes here and here, it begins to change with how I live my life. We've put on the new self in Christ. Paul wrote to the Colossians, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. So we're coming out of the domain of darkness where the currency is sin and depravity and immorality and all of those things leading to death. 
We are coming out of that domain and into his marvelous light where he is fashioning us, shaping us, transforming us into the image of our creator. There is intentionally a repetition to this, a daily renewal. Yes, Christ died once and for all, but he lives for daily renewal. Day by day, as we abide in him, he abides in us, and we grow in Christ's likeness. Dave Ramsey, in relation to debt-free living, always says on his radio program, I live like no one else so that one day I can live like no one else. Those of you that have taken Financial Peace University, he would be proud of you. Well, friends, let me change that direction and not in light of financial debt-free living, but rather Paul isn't talking about that. He is talking about living like no one else, not being conformed to the world so that one day you will live like no one else and being transformed in the renewal of your mind in Christ Jesus. Then, with a renewed mind... We are testing and proving the will of God. His will is good, acceptable, and perfect. It doesn't mean that we put it to the test, but it means that by practicing, we find that it is good, it is acceptable, and it is absolutely perfect. That God's standards, God's motives, God's values, God's practices all take up residence in our heart and begins to shape our new perspective as we walk that out and live it out every single day. In his book entitled Absolute Surrender, Andrew Murray wrote this. He said, it is in hearts entirely surrendered to the Lord Jesus, in hearts separating themselves from the world and even from ordinary religious exercises and giving themselves up in intense prayer to look to their Lord. It is in such hearts that the heavenly will of God will be made manifest, will be made known. We begin to think or ponder on God's truth. Our mind, our hearts begin that transformation as he works in us. Paul calls the Philippians. He says this, finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. But here's how you know. If you look to the world to see, well, is that honorable? Is that just? Is that pure? If it's of the world, it's not. But when we look to Christ, he is the one that shows us this is honorable. This is pure. This is lovely. This is excellence. This is commendable. We set our minds on Christ, leading to that renewed, transformed living. As we come to a close, as our minds are transformed In Christ, we begin to understand and grasp the will of God. It changes our worldview. We begin to be able to discern what is right and holy. It shapes us by living in God's will, which shapes our worldview because of renewal. The renewal is happening. And we will know his will. We will put it into action, proving that his will is good, pleasing, and perfect. I'll close with this. Again, I said it already, but just to point you to Scripture, God's ultimate goal we find in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, his plan. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the world. 
No, 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 no. That was wrong, preacher. That was wrong, preacher. To be conformed to the image of his son. That's God's plan all along. That's his plan. How do we get there? Paul told us a couple of chapters later in chapter 12. You got, here's how he does it. He assigns you the task. Renew your mind. Come to me, surrender every day. And let him do the work of renewal, bringing about conformity to the image of his son. Friends, here's what Paul's saying to sum it all up. Overcoming stagnation, disobedience, or maybe to meet Jesus for the very first time, you have to view the mercies of God. In view of the mercies of God, taking a look at all that God has done through Jesus Christ, that he was the payment for our sins upon the cross. He was our substitute on that cross, and he paid the debt in full, and he died. And we are, by faith, buried with him in that death. But on the third day, God raised him up to life. He was fully dead. God raised him back to life, fully alive, physically, in the present. If we are united with Christ in his death, we are also united with him in this life. And we, too, are raised to walk in the newness of life. If you've never trusted in Jesus, having repented of your sin, and turned to Christ. Those are two, two sides of the same coin. They happen simultaneously. We trust Christ, and in trusting Christ, we're saying, I repent of my sin, and I'm turning away from the, the world, conformity to the world. I'm going to be transformed now by the renewing of my mind as I turn to Christ. In view of God's mercies, if you've never made that decision to trust Jesus for the salvation of your soul and forgiveness of your sin, today can be the day of salvation for you. In a few moments, we're going to stand to our feet, and we're going to sing again, and we're going to have a song play. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. This is the moment. I want to invite you to come down and, and share with me or some of our deacons here. We can pray with you and show you the way. If we need more time, we can go outside and, and take care of that outside at another time. But today, let this day be the day of salvation for you. In view of God's mercy, friend, it is only rational, irrational and acceptable to respond to be all in to Jesus by offering yourself as a living sacrifice. And you've done one and two, then you are called now to stay in the game by resisting conformity to the world and being transformed by the renewing of your mind from the inside out. So friends, take up your cross, take up the word, renew your mind each and every day as you follow Jesus and you let the Holy Spirit do his work. Thank you for listening today. For more information regarding Coastal Oaks Church, like service times, or what to expect upon your visit, go to our website at coastaloakschurch.org. May God bless you in the journey and the simple pursuit of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord.